following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Um, you weren't all here when I sat down and was facing the other direction. Welcome. <clears throat> well, our, our uh, study is to bring us back to the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And that's page 840 in the Pew Bibles. Mark 5, 21. And over the last... Um, Three weeks or so, we've been dealing with pretty much the same issue. Fear versus faith. Um, uh, uh, fear that is related to doubt versus faith. Uh, fear of loss versus faith. And, and, um, and here we're, we're kind of dealing with that same sort of thing this morning in this text. We've, we've witnessed Jesus exercises superior power over um, wind and waves over legions, that is potentially thousands of demons all at once. And today we're, we're going to look at, um, his superior power over sickness and even death. Um, and we're going to continue our, our newfound pattern of discussion, of uh, studying the scriptures, consulting the scholars, thinking through the issues and applying the principles uh, together as a family. That's the goal. But first we pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as a family. We know, Lord, that we're not all here this morning, um, though many may be here in spirit or watching online. We pray, Lord, for those who are sick this morning or otherwise occupied. Uh, and for those of us who have gathered here, pray that your spirit would speak that you would guide our discussion this morning, that we wouldn't simply pool ignorance, but would uh, truly dig into your word and see what you have to say to us. And so, Lord, we look to you for direction and guidance this morning. May your spirit speak to our hearts. May our hearts be soft to receive your message. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so let's look at the scripture together, Mark 5. Going to look at verse 21. I have to tell you, I was very tempted to break this account apart into two pieces. But he can't, because it's really dealing with the same thing in two different ways. So we'll look at the whole thing together. Um, start at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all she had, and was no better, but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, 
And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in his body, as perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is one of my favorite accounts. <clears throat> so let's, um, let's break this apart. What is the plight of the woman? What's her problem? Bleeding. Okay. So we're not giving a great deal of details, but this is a, um, a womanly problem. Uh, suffering of hemorrhaging uh, in the womb for 12 years, bleeding for 12 years. Okay, what else? Is that her only problem? Yeah, she she spent every penny that she had. She had nothing left, right? Is that her only problem? It's right, not getting better, definitely getting worse. It's getting sicker, sicker. You're eventually going to run out of blood, I would think, yes. Is this her only problem? Ostracized. Yeah, so Levitical experts. Uh, she's unclean. She's ceremonially unclean. And that led to be ostracized. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't go to temple for 12 years. She could not come in here and sit like you are and say, pray for me, I'm sick. We would not be able to let her in the door under those. That's a problem. Was there other, any other problems? I'm not, I'm not complaining. This list is too short. She said, well, I don't know what she went through, but it said she suffered under the doctors that tried to heal her. Mm. Yes, it's not a happy experience for her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it, 
Yeah. Well, something was causing this bleeding. Yeah. Um, if you think about, I think that's an important word. She's desperate. She's poor, ostracized, can't touch anyone. No one can touch her. She, there's nothing left for her to do. She's hopeless. And she hears that Jesus coming and pushes through the crowd. Now, what's the problem with that? If you're ceremonially unclean, everyone you else touch, everyone you touch is now also ceremonial unclean. And here comes a throng, a crowd of people, and she pushes her way through. Like, I don't care about the rules anymore. This problem is bigger than that. You'll get over it, right? Go wash and rinse and bathe and all that stuff you have to do. I need this to stop. Okay, I think that's a fair summary. She's in bad shape and has nowhere left to turn. So what about Jairus? What's summarize the plight of Jairus? What's his problem? His daughter's dying. Yeah. Yes, he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. But come lay your hands on her and she'll be made well. Anything else? He's not tricky. His daughter is sick and dying. That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's the story. This is not uh, um, not good, but simple. So what do these two people, Jairus and this woman, what do they have in common? Okay, they're trusted. Jesus will heal them. They're desperate. What did you say over here? Yep. Well, it just so happens that Jesus showed up and they're town to, on that day. What else do they have in common? Okay, they're they're hoping at least. They're willing to give Jesus a try. They both have a condition they can't do anything about. They're both powerless over their plight. Yeah. Anything else? Anything more general? Sam? Yes. Well, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, don't get freaked out by that. Um, I think it's, it's a real temptation to be like, aha, the numbers. Uh, this is just proving God is sovereign and had an appointment for this day uh, with these two people. <laughs> That's true. Twelve of one, a dozen of the other. Yeah. Anything else they might have in common? Just on the surface, they're both Jewish, um, right? So he's a synagogue ruler, um, so that means he's Jewish. And uh, yeah, she had the cards were kind of stacked against her at this point. Yeah. So what made these two people different then? Okay, they both have a problem they can't solve. They're desperate. Then they and Jesus happens to come to their town and they go to him for help. Um, really? Is it? Right. Yeah, that that could be a a, a social a social problem for Jairus. 
<laughs> you're not, I'm not here to just say you're wrong, but you're wrong. Um, so they both, so that's something they have in common. They're both risking, right? Like, she is not only already ostracized, but if she goes and pushes the issue, and literally to push people out of the way to get to Jesus, right? Now that has social implications for her. And the Pharisees have already rejected Jesus, um, right? So there's social implications for Jairus. Um, what else made them different? Okay. Yep. Looking for for someone else. He's still affected, but certainly his daughter is the one with the illness. Anything else? They're certainly on opposite ends of the spectrum socially at this point. She may have been wealthy at one point, but not anymore. And 12 years have gone by, um, you know, no longer a pillar of the community, but that that unclean woman, we can't go help anymore. Versus Jairus, who's like the chairman of the board, right? That's a synagogue ruler. He wasn't like the pastor of the church. That's not how they did it. But uh, the synagogue rulers had responsibility for the synagogue itself, the building, the people. So they were their leaders in the in the synagogue. Anything else before we move on? These are all good thoughts. Uh, I have another long quote for you. We'll do the best. I can make the letters much bigger without having only one word per slide. But um, here's a, a quote from Warren Wiersbe. The contrast between these two needy people is striking and reveals the wideness of Christ's love and mercy. Jairus was an important synagogue officer, and the woman was an anonymous nobody. Yet Jesus welcomed and helped both of them. That's another. She doesn't even get named. There's another part of that. Jairus gets the name. Jairus was about to lose a daughter who had given him 12 years of happiness, and the woman was about to lose an affliction that had brought her 12 years of sorrow. Being a synagogue officer, Jairus was no doubt wealthy, but his wealth could not save his dying daughter. The woman was already bankrupt. She had given the doctors all of her money, and yet none of them could cure her. Both Jairus and the poor woman found the answers to their needs at the feet of Jesus. The woman had a hemorrhage that was apparently incurable and was slowly destroying her. One can only imagine the pain and emotional pressure that sapped her strength day after day. When you consider her many disappointments with the doctors and the poverty it brought her, you wonder how she endured as long as she did. But there was one added burden. According to the law, she was ceremonially unclean, which greatly restricted both her religious and social life. What a burden she carried. However, she let nothing stand in her way as she pushed through the crowd and came to Jesus. She could have used any number of excuses to convince herself to stay away from him. She might have said, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. Look, he's going with Jairus, so I won't bother him now. 
She could have argued that nothing else had helped her, so why try again? Or she might have concluded that it was not right to come to Jesus as a last resort after visiting all those physicians. However, she laid aside all arguments and excuses and came by faith to Jesus. And what kind of faith does she have? It was weak, timid, and perhaps somewhat superstitious. She kept saying to herself that she had to touch his clothes in order to be healed. She had heard reports of others being healed by Jesus, so she made this one great attempt to get through to the Savior. She was not disappointed. Jesus honored her faith, weak as it was, and healed her body. There is a lesson here for all of us. Not everybody has the same degree of faith, but Jesus responds to faith no matter how feeble it might be. When we believe, he shares his power with us, and something happens in our lives. There were many others in that crowd who were close to Jesus and even pressing against him, but they experienced no miracles. Why? Because they did not have faith. It is one thing to throng him and quite something else to trust him. <clears throat> and this second quote from Ray Stedman. So there were certain forces which hindered Jairus' coming, but there was an overriding fear which drove him to Jesus. The fact that his 12-year-old little girl lay sick, almost ready to die, and he knew it. Here was a desperate father. Those of us who are parents know that there is no agony like, like that you feel when your little one is threatened with death. If you have ever stood by a crib, as I have, watching a little head tossing with a high fever, you know something of the terrible clutch of fear which comes to your heart in those moments. This is what drove Jairus, Jairus, this agonized father, to Jesus. The fear that this little one, who had blessed their home and filled it with sunshine for 12 years, was to be taken from them. But there is also evidence of the faith which drew him. Mark is careful to tell us that when he came, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, My daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. This man, prominent though he was, nevertheless knew that there was power in Jesus, and it was that which drew him. He forgot his pride and his prejudice, and he came and asked for help. Any th thoughts on those quotes? I think they both... Um, bring a point that there was significant risk for both men, uh, a man and a woman, um, that they had to put beside, set aside um, the rules of their normal life in order to come to Jesus in faith. Um, with, I think, honestly, sometimes you just get caught up in a social aspect and kind of leave it on the academic level, but we don't necessarily identify with that. Um, but there is risk of loss of something when you come to faith. You do give up certain things. Jairus may well have given up his livelihood, um, but it didn't matter. What's more important? That his daughter gets healed, right? And she laid aside all of the Levitical rules that kept her 
uh, hidden away um, in order to come to faith in Jesus. There is cost involved, I think. But I think that the one thing, one of the things that both of these people had in common was fear. He was, Jairus was afraid his daughter was going to die. And she was afraid she never going to get better. That she was going to die. And they both drove them to Jesus. Um, <clears throat> okay. So in the last two chapters, um, Mark has recorded demonstrations of Jesus' superior power over wind and waves, legions of demons over sickness and death. But the truth of the matter is, we read this stuff, and yet we still fear. Um, and when I say we, I don't necessarily mean me and the mouse in my pocket. I'm, I mean we, all of us. And that's really the issue that we're dealing with here in this passage. And that's how we can take such a long chunk and, and boil it down to, um, to one, one principle. What's this woman afraid of? Think about it. What is she afraid of? Dying, right? Continued suffering at the very least, right? What do you say over here? Not, not getting well, right? Is that, Something to fear? Is it reasonable? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? What was Jairus afraid of? Losing his child, right? Is that something significant? Is that reasonable? Yeah. What does our fear, our fear, like, we can look at them and say, well, Jesus just showed up in town. Maybe they'd heard rumors about him and wanted to go see if maybe he can help, right? So we have a little bit of an advantage over them, right? We have, we have God's words recorded for us, a testimony of who Jesus is and what his power is like. We have seen it ourselves in our own lives, in our church family, in the lives of other people that we know. So we have an advantage over these two people, right? And yet we still fear. So the question is, what does our fear truly display? Yeah. Lack of faith, doubt. We don't, don't fully understand. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's how you really learn who God is by letting go of more and more. Okay, you know, you're gonna you yeah. know this may not come up the way I like it to, but I don't feel it. Right. You know. And that's kinda of how we slowly figure out who God is over time. Yeah. So I think sometimes um our our trust kinda of ends with well I'm willing to sacrifice early Sunday morning for you, Lord. So, come on, get with the program, right? But is that truly, <laughs> that's not really it, uh, uh, in case you're wondering. Um, that's, that does not, um, that doesn't really do it. So, our fear displays doubt, 
lack of trust. We don't really know God. Perhaps we don't know what Jesus is capable of because we haven't availed ourselves to that information. That's not a secret. There's a, there's a very popular book written, um, Sometimes? I think like every single time? <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we can laugh and say, well, if God followed my plan, what a mess we'd be in. You know, <laughs> but I mean that. Like what, if he would just do what I want him to do, right? Why won't he just, he knows what I, what I think I need, right? So I, I, I think that's another part of the lack of trust is not just, um, I know best what's best for me, um, not trusting that God knows best. But even then, I think when you say, yeah, God knows better than I do, so I'm just going to relax and, you know, I, I committed to him in prayer and, and he's still going to do it the way I like it. <laughs> that's what I'm counting on, right? So there's so much more, I think, to... Uh, to trust in the Lord in knowing that maybe the problem in your lifetime sees no solution. Right? Uh, and that's can be troubling, but it's, it's really what's best. And I, th- I think that part of the thing that gets um, exposed here is that our expectations of of whatever trouble or trial or problem that we're dealing with, um, the solution to that is all related to me, right? How short-sighted are we to say, you know, whatever problem I'm facing, its solution I will see, you know, and it might be years or months or, you know, whatever, but maybe it doesn't have anything to do with you, right? Uh, Maybe... There's a, it's it's effective to generations, and I think sometimes we we limit our perspective to individual disciples, and not the kingdom of God. Like whatever whatever trial it is, whether a sick child or a sickness in yourself, that maybe the solution uh, or the answer is not for you, but it's for the whole kingdom, right? Or at least a wider swath of it than that just lives at your house. Does that make any sense? Does that resonate with you? I don't want to get to preaching again. I'm the, I don't want to do that. I want to hear. I want to hear from you as well. Yes. I think we're uh, we're often just like these two people where we turn to Christ when when we finally realized we don't have any control. Mm-hmm. So a lady, after 12 years, took her a while, <laughs> you know, and Jairus, when there's nothing he could do mm-hmm. to save his girl. And sometimes I think that we wait that long. Sad, but... Yeah, that's certainly possible. So when you think about... Uh, Jairus and this woman had things in common, but what do you have in common with Jairus and this woman? What, what do we share in common with them? There's plenty of things that make us different. They're dead. We're not. Um, 
You know, they lived in first century and we live in 21st century. We live here in America and we have all this, we have the scriptures already and we have all these stories and we've got some advantages over them, right? But what makes us the same? Yeah. What's what's interesting to me, I, I don't disagree with you. What's interesting to me is that this is, there's nothing here that says the woman was not faithful to good. Right? There's nothing that says she was not a faithful Jewish woman who trusted in Yahweh. Right? Jairus is a leader of the synagogue. That means he's a man of faith already. Okay? They believed in God. Right? And they would say the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? That was their confession of faith. But James mentions that same confession of faith in his, in his epistle. He says, you believe that God is one, right? You confess the Shema and you do well. So do the demons. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right. So these people were not I'm not saying that they didn't have faith in God. I think they did. Um, but we have this account for more specific purposes in that they went to Jesus and he came to them. That's the other part of the story. Right. He just showed up in town randomly that day. This girl, 12 years old, lay dying. This lady been suffering for 12 years. And coincidentally, they live in the same town. And coincidentally, Jesus showed up that day? I don't think so. We make it about them. They came to Jesus. The woman pushed through the social barriers. She pushed through all the problems. And she she grabbed onto Jesus' T-shirt and was healed. Right? Jairus ignored all of the, the bad stuff the Pharisees have been saying. And he came to Jesus anyway. True, Right? Jesus came to them first, right? He showed up in their town. And I don't think that's insignificant. So let's think about the the principles. Let's ap- apply the principles here that we've been talking about. We've talked about that our our fear um our fear in circumstances displays our potential lack of trust in Christ that Whatever issue we're going through um, has a solution and benefits that we might not ever see. Um, I think our fear displays our natural state of powerlessness. Um, powerlessness over ourself, over our circumstances, over our sin without Jesus' intervention. Right? What do you have power to affect? Like, in a cosmic sense, nothing, <laughs> right? We say sometimes we can control our reaction to circumstances. And that's like the closest we get. And that's like one on the dial that goes to 11. We, we really don't have a lot of power over anything. And fear is real. It's very real. My goal today is not to downplay that to say, if you're afraid, it's because you don't love Jesus. 
and guess what? You know, that's not the goal here at all. Um, our purpose is to show that there is a way through fear, through faith, or by faith. Um, to show that Jesus is more powerful than what we fear, and he can be trusted to deliver us. What we've been talking about, the same, the same thing over the last three weeks, is Jesus can be trusted, right? And so we should trust him. And sometimes we're faced with situations that push us to the limits. I can, I can identify. We've stood next to the crib with a child near death. And it was horrible. And we were afraid. But that doesn't mean that Jesus could not be trusted. Even if his life ended, Jesus can still be trusted. He still has purposes beyond what we can understand. And I think that's really the crux of the issue here. That God has purposes that we may never get. Is that okay with you? Yeah. What are your choices? It's not okay with me that you don't show me the solution to my problem. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so that's not going to change God's mind. What it is going to do is affect your mind. And what we need is a change of heart when we're in those places. We don't understand. We need to be okay with that. That's trusting God. We say we can trust, we can trust Jesus when we understand, you know, when he lays the steps out in front of us. So you're here and you don't like it, but don't worry. There's this step and this step and this step and everything's going to be fine. Well, I trust you with that. Yeah. But what if you're at step one and there's a bucket over your head and you can't see the next one? Do you still trust him? That's the problem. That's the place that we need to get to. That it, Lord, it doesn't matter what the next step is. I know it's in your hands and I'm in your hands and it's okay. It's, uh, Yeah. And so it, it's, it's freeing when you get to the point and say, okay, God wants me, but he doesn't need me to do anything to make his kingdom grow or, or, or my faith grow. You, you know what I mean? When, 
And when I say by not do anything, I don't mean be passive. Mm. I mean, we don't, we're not going to make God any, God any more powerful by what we do. We're not going to make our value any more by what we do. Right. But he's going to use us if we're willing. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's not a complete correlation to it, but it kind of has. It, I think you're in a similar stream. Hmm. Yeah, God's intervention is not based on our faith. He's going to intervene for the good of his kingdom, whether we recognize it or not. I think that's also important. That's not to say that we should just, you know, just float through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's good. So it's not enough uh, to just gain a clear grasp of the issue that Jesus can be trusted and will deliver us, um, maybe in our, our, our life and our seeing or maybe not. Um, it's not enough to accurately understand the core truths of a passage or verse in the Bible. We have to apply it. If we just leave here with more thoughts in our head, um, we haven't really gained anything. So... The lesson that we're dealing with is is pretty clear. Jesus is more powerful than what we fear. Jesus is more powerful than the sickness that had a grip on this woman's life for a long time. Jesus was more powerful than the sickness that held on to Jairus' daughter. More powerful than even death. She died and was resuscitated. He's more powerful than what we fear and he can be trusted. However, what we can't settle for is that, okay, we have the answer to the test. Check. We got an A. And now we move on to the next lesson. We have to do something with this information. If we do not apply this principle to our lives in some real way, it's only head knowledge and not heart knowledge. Like we've said before, James calls it demon faith. Even the demons know that God is one, but they don't trust him. So we need to do both. We have to have head knowledge and heart knowledge to mature as disciples. So think back with, think back through what we have talked about this morning. How can we design an application? What do you do with this information? Like, go run out into the road because Jesus is going to take care of you. Right? No. Okay? But there is, there, how can we truly apply this principle? That Jesus is more powerful than our circumstances and can be trusted to guide us through them. What do we do with that? Yeah. Because like you said, there was a throng, but there was only one power, there was only one person that made him 
Yeah. The, the Greek word, when it says thronged about him, is suffocate. He's like squished in this mass of people. If you've ever been to a rock concert, that's what it's like, you know, squished in the mosh pit, right? Um, yeah, everybody was touching him. Yeah. But only one had came to him in faith. Yeah. And the weeping and wailing, I, I don't... I don't want to just cover all your trivia questions, but the, these were professional mourners. They were hired to come and weep and wail. That was their job, right? Can you imagine that? I'm a, I'm a mailman. I am an engineer. I am a whaler, right? <laughs> that was their job. When somebody died, they came and they carried on and weeped and wailed and howled like dogs. This is borrowed from Roman tradition. This is not a godly thing. So if you're thinking about hiring professional mourners, it's not uh, not a good not a good tradition. But yeah, what are you doing? This girl is just sleeping, not dead. Yeah, we're just doing our job, man. That's why they could go from weeping to laughing. Like he's she, she's not dead; she's asleep. What? Are you nuts? We wouldn't be here otherwise. We were hired. Here's our contract. All right, so So in order to apply that, should we be desperate? Mm. Yeah, we don't like to think we think desperation that's bad, right? I want to be okay. My goal in life is to be okay. <laughs> Not desperate. Hmm. So the very foundation of our life daily, at moment by moment, we're desperate for, you know, uh, I was asking my daughter this week, uh, yesterday, um, and it was a different lesson I was trying to bring out, but I was saying, you know, where does your breath come from? You know, and, and how did, how is that move in correlation to the working of your bodies? And the whole thing I was trying to bring out was, it, none of it has its origins within us. Hmm. We don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, I think what this, what this brings out, that your point is these people, their problem was huge. It was overwhelming to them, right? And is, is that the only appropriate time to come to Jesus? Well, certainly not. You know, this is an extreme example. That's why it's here for us to see. But if we're going to apply this principle that Jesus can be trusted, it's more powerful than the things that we're dealing with, even though our we may not see our deliverance personally, Jesus can still be trusted with that. That is a that is a breathe in, breathe out principle, right? And to prove Josh's point, uh, anybody make your heart skip a beat? Do it. Can you do it? Do it. You, you can't. You don't have control over that. God's the one, you know, that's squeezing those valves, right? You can't. I hope you can't make it stop. That's not a trick we need to see. But So here's your assignment. I know you've been waiting for this. Um, I hope that these assignments, uh, you've at least made 
a single attempt uh, during the course of the week um, and and more if the Lord empowers you to do so. Um, but thinking about fear and what you're afraid of, I think that both Jairus and this woman were facing the thing that they were most afraid of. And as I think as parents, most of us can relate to Jairus, who would not be terrified at the face of losing a child. And for the woman, we don't know um, anything really about her. But other than she has spent everything chasing a cure to her disease, but she is facing her own worst fear and that this sickness was going to end her life, right? It's not unreasonable. So your assignment is to consider your own fears. What are you honestly afraid of? And you could say, well, spiders, uh, I know snakes. That's not what I mean. That's, I'm not talking about jump scare or you know, things like that. But what, what do you, what are you truly afraid of? And again, as with every assignment, you have to ask for the Lord's help. Ask the Lord for clarity on this. Um, what is it that you're afraid of? And if you consider the patterns of your life, even if you're not, um, consciously aware of whatever that fear is, the patterns of your life will display it. Um, so, um, so, Consider your fears, ask the Lord to give you clarity, write them out, write out your fears, and consider how Jesus' superior power can put your fears to rest. I know that for some of you, last week's assignment was challenging and difficult um, and scary, maybe. That doesn't make it not worth it. Right? So sometimes... We just need to consciously process. And if we just say, okay, we, we saw the flannel graph today, and uh, then we had a snack, and we left, um, none of us are going to grow. This, this is supposed to hurt. This is supposed to be a challenge. And it's supposed to be good. And it is. So that's the challenge, to consider your fears. And you have to look deeper than snakes and spiders. Write them out and consider how Jesus' superior power can put your fears to rest. Okay? And you can share that story with one another. That's okay, too. Or keep it to yourself. That's fine. All right? Okay? Any final thoughts? My last page is blank, so I don't have anything else to say. Okay, that's fine. It takes some time to process this. It's totally fine. And again, if if you want uh, quotes uh, or or any of this material, I can send you. There's no mystery. This is not glow in the dark. But I can send you all of this stuff if you want. Okay, just let me know. Okay, let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for this discussion this morning. Um, I pray that it would be fruitful. Um, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would empower us to consider um, 
application of the principles that we've learned that um, you are more powerful than what we fear, what we fear to lose or what we fear might happen to us. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to navigate through that, that you would give us clarity on what it is that um, that we fear and reassure us that you are greater. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.